To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my friend Andrew Whitney. So Andrew's been on the podcast before, but this is the first time I've had him on for a solo conversation. I really like this guy. So uh, I've shot with Andrew. We've kind of become friends over the last few years, and uh, I just have so much respect for what he does. So he works here at Stone Glacier. He's known as their bow guy. Uh, he's a heck of an elk hunter with his bow, antelope, mule deer, just one of those guys that's consistently successful. And so it's fun to get into an in-depth conversation of, about, you know, the new age of bow hunting. Like as things change, there's more hunting pressure. Uh, uh, things are tough in today's day and age. There's a lot of guys going really hard. And so we have to adapt and evolve to the hunting conditions we're seeing. And that's what today's podcast centers around we talk about the new age and we talk a lot about elk hunting in this one as we're both just finishing up our elk season uh andrew uh he grinded to the end and was able to shoot a great bull we talk about that on the podcast and uh he does that year after year which is just amazing and so we talk about this new age of elk hunting and some of the tactics we're using to being successful uh, some of the mindset that we have during elk season uh, the trials and tribulations and how tough it is just made for a great conversation. And and Andrew works for Stone Glacier, which I really like all those guys at Stone Glacier. Like those guys are the the tip of the spear as it as it comes to to Western hunting. And I'm I'm so grateful and proud to have him as a partner on the podcast and uh, just really stoked to have Andrew on in an in-depth conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it, too. I want to thank the sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Stone Glacier. Uh, Stone Glacier, we talk a bit about their shelters during the podcast, but I really like their Skyair Ultra modular system. It's a bivy tent. Uh, feels like it was made for me in my early season hunts, and I hunt all the way into September and even October with this thing. So a great tent. I've also been using their, their two-man four-season tent a lot this year. So anytime I'm truck camping... Uh, anytime that I'm going to get some gnarly adverse weather, uh, this thing is bomb-proof. So rode out some rainstorms in it this season, did great for me, camped with my daughter with this tent. Uh, it's a two-person, so plenty of room in there for uh, one guy or two with the vestibules. Um, uh, isn't bad either. So yeah, just an amazing tent. Uh, been using their sleeping bags. They've been keeping me warm. I slept a night. Oh, the other night I slept, uh, got down to about 18 degrees. It's a 15-degree bag. Usually those temp ratings are about 10 degrees over, and I was warm and toasty all night in that thing. Just a great bag. Uh, so really stoked to be partnered with these guys. If you guys are in the market for any new technical mountaineering gear, make sure to check out Stone Glacier. I also want to thank Matthews. Uh, Matthews has been killing it. Uh, their new bows are going to come out. They usually come out in November. Um, boy, it's going to be tough to outdo this year's model. Uh, so this uh, this year's model uh, has just been shooting so good, keeps a tune. And, and really, 
the last five years of their bows are incredible. Like if you're in the market for a new bow, it's like check out the newest model or you may be able to get a good deal on last year's bow in November when the new ones come out. Uh, but honestly, any of the last five years bottle, uh, models, if you're looking for a bow, are absolute shooters. I would hunt with any of these bows. Uh, they keep a tune really well. They're really forgiving. Um, I, I just trust my entire season, all my bow hunting to a Matthews. Can't say enough good things about them. Um, they're just an amazing bow. So if you're in the market for a new bow, uh, make sure to get out and shoot some of those Matthews. Compare them to models that you've used prior, and I guarantee you'll fall in love with them. Uh, everybody that uses them seems to turn into a Matthews guy. So all my buddies are using them. You know, I'm using it. Uh, they just... Uh, They've done a really good job building building quality bows and and uh, getting a good share of the Western market and for good reason. So if you're in the market for a new bow, make sure to check out Matthews. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Uh, so I went on Black Ovis's site. Uh, I was looking for a couple things for my late season muley hunt. Um, gosh, they just have all the top name brands. So it's an internet retail store. Uh, they have all the top brands and they also have a Black Ovis brand. Uh, of a lot of different gear that looks like a real quality brand of gear. So I'm so impressed with what these guys are are putting out. They have a point system on them. So uh, one point equals $1. You get those on purchases. You get those on reviews. So you can cash that in. You can also save an extra 10% by using our promo code uh, Eastman's10. Oh my gosh. I'm just, just doing this on the fly. I think it may be... Uh, yeah, Eastman's10. So I, I had a thought that it was elevated 10 there for a second. Sorry about the hiccup. Uh, but uh, yeah, just a great company. They're all hunters in there. They have a, a, a great site. Um, it's just anything you need for any of these Western hunts. Black Ovis has it. Uh, they've got an arrow ID. They've got uh, a bunch of great programs that they do through there. So if you're in the market for anything for an upcoming season, make sure to check out Black Ovis. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is uh, an app that you can use, and there's 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours. And so great deals on all the top name brands. You can really save uh, a bit of money on this top hunting gear if you watch this site and watch things come up. So I know a bunch of my buddies are addicted to that app, addicted to some of the deals that they get on them. So you can check those guys out at Camo Fire. With that, you can check us out at Eastman's. Uh, we still have that that mule deer course running. You can shave your learning curve by years uh, just in a, a couple weeks' time by going through the course. There's over 100 videos uploaded. It's absolutely everything I know about hunting mule deer. Uh, there's sections on bow hunting, rifle hunting, and I partnered with uh, Guy Eastman and Dan Picard on this. Uh, and, and I've got some real good feedback on it and I'm glad guys are enjoying it and it's helping out their mule deer hunting. So you can check that out by searching Eastman's, uh, mule deer course. And, um, you can also check out our beyond the grids. Always have new episodes dropping on YouTube. Just search Eastman's hunting TV and, uh, also on the outdoor channel. Make sure to check out the magazines, Eastman's bow hunting journal, Eastman's hunting journal. Uh, wrote a couple pieces in the last Eastman's Bow Journal, uh, a couple pieces I'm really proud of. Uh, one was a, a, a mule deer um, where I took excerpts from the mule deer course and then wrote about like three sections that I really thought was pertinent to everybody's mule deer hunting. So yeah, that was really fun project. 
I'm trying to remember the project before that. My um, my brain's a bit scrambled. Uh, but uh, yeah, and writing some pieces for the new magazines coming up. So make sure to check those out at Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. And man, with that, um, coming into to the muley rut season, which is really exciting. I've got a, a about a nine or ten day trip. I'm going to hit two states and hunt the rut. I've got to actually move uh, November 15th to December 1st, have to be out of my house by December 1st. So it's going to mess up my muley rut a little bit, but I got this one trip that I'm so looking forward to. So just making sure all my gear's dialed in, bow's dialed in, and then um, hunting this moose tag like a like a god dang madman. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been trying. You'll hear me talk about it on uh, the last couple podcasts because it's... Um, uh, well, the last couple podcasts and podcasts to come that I've been recording just because it's in the forefront of my mind. It's um, It's been really trying and difficult, but uh, over 20 days in, I've, I've seen over 30-some moose. I did pass a really good medium on Sunday, so, you know, if I... If I don't fill my tag, you know, I had my opportunities. He had eight points on one, ten points on the other, and um, just kind of smaller paddles. He just wasn't what I was thinking uh, when I when I set out on this quest to kill a Shiras moose. So uh, decided to keep hunting. I still got time on my side. The rut's waning down, uh, but have been seeing good numbers and and. Uh, and, uh, man, there's a, a few good moose in this unit. They're just tough to catch up to. So, um, man, I'm going to give it my all. I'm I'm going to I'm either going to kill a great moose or I'm going to go down swinging. But uh, it has been a great experience hunting these things. So um, just trying to keep after them and get work done and podcasts out and then um, hunt every free waking moment I have, mornings, evenings, weekends. So um, we'll be headed back out this weekend. So, um, it's been fun. It's a great experience. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I didn't get frustrated along the way a bit here and there, but, um, it's like a good test for me as well. So, um, yeah, enjoying it. So I'm going to keep after those things. I'm going to get this podcast out to you guys so I can get back out this evening and chase those things around. Uh, so thanks as always guys for the support and listening in, uh, Andrew Whitney, uh, works for Stone Glacier. I'm your host, Brian Barney Eastman's elevated this is a great podcast. Really excited to release it to you guys. So, um, let's get started. Oh, not much. Just get my day started here. Yeah. Yeah. How are things at Stone Glacier? All oh, things are good. We're we're busy. Uh, our typically our busy season is like June, July, August. We just crank as fast as we can, but uh, it's it's kind of persisted through September and now into October. So uh, tough to complain about, but still busy, busy. Yeah, you guys got the new showroom now, right? We do. Yeah, we're in the new shop. We're all up and running here, uh, which is nice. The space is much nicer. Um, it's just like it's just a friendlier work environment to come to every day. It's not as crowded, so yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, really excited about the new shop. Yeah, well, not only do you guys build like the best technical mountaineering gear, but um, you guys are so helpful in that shop. Like I sent, um, you know, there's been a few guys that have came into the shop that are um, you know friends of mine, and like I sent the the two Aussie guys uh, that were hunting with me there for a while here down at my place stopped in, and we're really impressed. But you guys are so helpful with your pack fitting, so helpful with uh, the gear items, like. 
just being able to figure out what guys need and advise them in the right way because you guys are all diehard hunters yourself, man. It's awesome to see. Yeah, yeah. We we try hard. Um, you know, we, we try to make sure everybody who comes in the shop has the best experience possible. Um, and yeah, be, because we are all hunters, it, it makes it pretty easy to communicate with and identify with, you know, customers who come in the shop and um, are looking for, you know, sound advice and um, trying to find the best product for them. So yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. It works really well. Well, um, your gear's been working flawlessly this year. I use that Sky Air a bunch. Um, such a great bivy tent, lightweight, modular system, man. So impressed with that thing. And then I ended up using that four-season, two-person tent quite a bit as well. Just when I was truck yep. camping or camping close to, you know, where I didn't have to pack it in a bunch of miles. Not that... I wouldn't if I needed it. Like, it's a great tent if you're going to run across, like, really tough conditions. A lot of rain, a lot of snow. Being that four-season tent, like, I can see where, you know, it would have been so advantageous in, like, New Zealand or Alaska or even Montana in September when we get those big rainstorms. But that thing's been working flawlessly as well. And you guys just thought out everything your vent system in there uh uh the poles the setup uh everything's been thought out with each piece of your guys's gear which is amazing and then sleeping bags have been have been working great too yep i'm glad to hear it yeah the the sky air i i run that thing as long as i can um the weight penalty on it is so low most days i don't even feel like i'm carrying camp when i have that um you know and there's of course there's there's some sacrifices you make like space and the ability to like stand or like, you know, operate in it. It's kind of like a coffin style. Um, it's pretty small, very much like Bibby style, but <clears throat> for what it is and, and the ability to just park it wherever you wind up at night, the sky air is phenomenal. Um, and then, yeah, the, the skyscraper, it's, it's a burly tent. Uh, there's a time and a place for it, but I'm going to carry that sky air as long as I can, just because the weight penalty is so insignificant. Yeah, same, same here. Yeah, I like uh, I use that thing for as long as I can, and probably conditions that I shouldn't. I'll even use it uh, early season <laughs> mule deer if I'm getting good conditions, because like you say, the weight penalty on it's so light, and uh, you have such a sound shelter that you can ride out about anything. So I'm the same. I'll use that thing for as long as I can. But um, you're you're kind of known as the the bow guy, and you have a bunch of. Um, really good bow hunters in the shop there at stone glacier but you've kind of uh cut your path and made your niche being the bow guy being bow only for every one of your hunts and another stellar season dude congratulations yeah thanks man it's, it's been good so far um yeah i i uh i dedicate a lot of my time to archery and being proficient with my equipment and making sure it's as dialed as it possibly can be before I step foot in the field. Uh, but yeah, that, that being said, we, we do have some good bow hunters here and we've had quite a few guys, uh, have close encounters with elk this year. And, well, I think three or four of us have killed archery bulls. So it's been a good season so far. I feel like it's been a good season for everybody. If, if you've been paying attention, man, there's been bulls going down all over the place. Uh, especially compared to last year. I feel like last year was tough for everybody. Huh. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why last year was tough or it seemed tough, but uh, this year, I, I mean, it, it, I, I, I guess it gives me perspective on last year. It's like 
I feel like everybody's in bowls. Everybody's has great stories about their weekend hunts or whatever happened or transpired at elk camp for them. But I don't know. It just seems like everybody is in them this year and knocking them down. I don't know if that's, you know, the weather or the amount of effort guys are putting in. I don't know what it's attributable to, but uh, it seems like everybody's having a good season this year. It seems like um, there's a lot of different factors, right? The the conditions, the weather you get during season, the weather you get prior to season, and then, you know, different areas as well. And then pressure definitely plays a factor. Like, there, there's so many variables when we're hunting out west that you you, uh, you never know what to expect. You always just come into season knowing that you're going to put full effort in and let the cards fall where they do. But you grinded pretty hard. You actually ended up killing your bull fairly late september and i know you were uh i think you had told me it had been tough thus far maybe it was just tough to get a bull killed uh and you were into good hunting but yeah you did take it down to the end there yeah yeah it went a little while and and part of that is because montana has that new law um so i i can't do my like typical like afternoon stomps in my local honey holes you know so a lot of the time I was kind of sitting back and watching my friends hunt locally and kill bulls and I was packing their bulls out for them. Um, but the, the weather in the Eastern half of the state, man, it was hot. It was just tough. And, um, some of my honey holes out there were just dried up. There was nothing going on. So I just, I just had to make this total shift in my game plan, uh, which is fine. I, you know, I, I've come to expect it, you know, it's, it's not the same every year. Uh, and in fact, very infrequently is it the same, but, um, yeah, I just, you know, I was, I was prepared for it and I just had to call the audible and hunt some different spots and put some bigger hikes in and get into places where people weren't pressure and bulls. Yeah. I'm all for, um, changes in management and better management, but boy, I sure didn't agree with some of the changes they made. And maybe it was just personally that that rule hurt me, but it didn't make much sense that, so if you draw a special tag in Montana, you used to be able to hunt the special and the general tags. And so they passed a rule this year that if you drew a special tag, you could only hunt elk in that area. But it's such a weird rule. They had the way they had it written up is that you could only hunt elk in that area during the bow season, but then rifle season, you can go hunt and hunt the general areas, just not with a bow during bow season. You couldn't hunt multiple areas. And so I found it kind of weird, uh, like uh, weird the way they wrote the rule. And I don't think it's really saving much elk or helping the pressure that much. And, and maybe I'm just too personally attached to it because I love hunting, you know, the mountains and I love hunting the breaks. I love hunting a special unit, but I also love hunting you know mountains close to home and so for me it worked out well where i could hunt multiple areas but this year with the change um guys like me and you were faced with the tough decision if we wanted the special tag or if we wanted to hunt the general so i, I didn't agree with all the changes they made um you know and i know you know they're trying to do the best they can to cut down on pressure and also cut down on harvest but it just didn't make any sense that then you could go hunt a general unit with your rifle later on it's like what what are you guys really saving but um anyways maybe it was yeah. more personal feelings than anything yeah it, i i think it is personal um and, and you know it cuts down on our opportunities to hunt a little bit um if you choose to do the special tag or you know get a tag out east it, it really kind of eliminates your ability to hunt elk around here entirely except for the rifle season but yeah you're right it's 
it's funky um, to try to comprehend what they're doing, right? Because they're like, hey, go archery hunting in your unit and stay there. But then when you're done, if you're not successful, we're going to give you a much more lethal weapon and set you free in a different part of the state or, or you know, what, whatever part of the state you want to be in if it's general. So it's, yeah, it's tough to comprehend exactly what they were thinking when they did that. But, um, yeah, like, like you said, I, I imagine they're trying to do the best they can. Um, and we'll, we'll see what changes come forth this year, but that was, that was a tough pill for me to swallow. Oh, that one hurt so bad, didn't it? <laughs> for guys like mm-hmm. me and you, and it doesn't apply yep. to everybody, but yeah, there's, uh, definitely hurt guys like me and you and, and so much of the season, like you were talking, uh, so much of this Western hunting and, you know, you've been consistently successful with your bow for so many years now, but so much of it is, is just adapting to the conditions you're given. And like you stated earlier, it's never the same as it was last season. And you may find some honey holes and, and maybe those honey holes will produce for years to come because that's where elk like, but it just seems like everything's always changing with conditions and pressure. And so much of this, um, finding success with a bow and arrow is just being able to adapt, uh, adapt to the conditions, adapt to the hunting pressure, adapt to what you're seeing in real time. And so much of it is just like keeping keeping your attitude right, keep putting forth effort, keep theorizing where elk are. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that are going really hard these days, but it, it it's a combination of going hard and also uh, like strategy and also like, like being able to um uh, really being able to adjust on the fly on these hunts and i'm i'm sure you run into the same thing that i do to find success year after year yeah totally i i ended up in spots this year that i have i've never been in before um and, and mostly because i said earlier like my, my my like three like core spots were just not producing so it was like well well call the audible we're gonna go do this other thing and you know, pretty quickly you wind up in terrain that you're unfamiliar with, um, hiking routes, you're in the dark, you know, it's, it's more time consuming, right? You're moving constantly. So, um, yeah, being adaptable in my opinion is, is really the key to success. You know, if, if you get hung up on, you know, a spot that produced last year or the last two years, it's not producing, like it's time to pull the plug and just go do something else, you know? And, and who knows what you might run into or what you might learn about a different spot. You know, you might produce a new honey hole. Uh, you might go kill the biggest out of your life or have the best rut days of your life. Um, so, yeah, be, being adaptable is just paramount. Um, it's, it's also nice to have a good hunting buddy. Uh, I've, I've got a, a really good hunting buddy right now named Jared Miller. And, man, he's just – he is up for anything. So, like, you know, I – he kind of this unit with me this year and I was like, Hey, like, I'm pretty sure this is what we're going to do. Uh, and this is where we're going to go. And we went out there and it was just, it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So he and I are like, well, <clears throat> let's tie the boots tighter. Let's load our packs and let's go send it in, into some new spots. And you know, he's, he's just always up for it. He never says no to anything. And it's good to have a hunting partner like that. Oh man, uh, is it ever? Yeah, a guy that never says no, that's always up for going for it, always up for the adventure. Yeah, is uh, worth it's worth their weight in gold. You know, it's amazing, and it keeps your attitude up as well. Uh, so it sounds like you guys were pretty mobile, which I think is another key. Is just like 
uh, elk, you're either in them or you're not. And it seems like if you're not, you just have to keep moving until you can find them and keep covering country. And there can be a lot of empty hunts that stack up, but you just got to cross places off your list. And then, you know, it seems like, um, it's really tough because uh, you you want to be an elk. The the key to killing elk is being into elk. So you start stacking these empty hunts, and it's easy to start second guessing where you're going, or it's easy to uh, not easy, but it it's like human nature to take the easy way out. And it's like oh I'll just glass today, or oh I'll just look around, and pretty soon you're not putting forth those effort, which means you're not going to get into elk. But for me, it takes like constant effort and i have to just dive into country like uh there's too many guys now that you know can look out a truck window or look from a vantage point where for me i just have to dive in so i make these plans for these hunts that okay this morning i'm gonna work this ridge line and i'm gonna get in there like you said hiking in the dark i'm gonna hike an hour and a half in the dark and i'm gonna end up in the middle of this and i'm gonna listen the whole way for bugles and then i'm gonna glass when the lights come on and i'm gonna hunt a mobile vantage point down this ridge line and try to turn up some elk and so it just seems like you have to make a game plan each and every day and then you just have to dive into country i see too many guys that just get stuck on these roads or stuck off calling into these basins or you know just not putting forth that effort to get back into country and really you know it doesn't take 10 miles of effort to find an elk like it it just getting into these spots a mile two miles three miles and just see what's going on and a lot of times you can't hear these bugles across these canyons like it it depends on the conditions sometimes you can hear a bull from a mile away and sometimes that thing can yep. be 400 yards bugle right at you and you never hear it i don't know if the wind catches that bugle but uh it, it just seems like you like like you have to just dive in and make your best hunt every single day every single hunt like keep your optimism up and just keep believing that you know i am going to find an elk and i am going to get a chance but it sounds like that's what you guys had to do this year yeah totally um and yeah to to your point like we would hike into these places right and we're like hey this this is a hope and a prayer like let's just see what's going on here you know and you're like you hike and you hike and you grind and and it's hot and it's not fun you know um you're sweaty as can be and you're like there's nothing here there's nothing here and then you turn the corner right and it's like just the way the their bugles echo or something about the landscape you turn the corner right and all of a sudden the tables have turned right and and you find elk and you're in them, right? And, and now you've got a, a, a couple of decisions to make about how to approach them and all that jazz. But it's, yeah, it, you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other, literally and figuratively, because some days elk hunting is not that exciting, you know? But it, if you grind and grind, like things happen and, and opportunities present themselves. And like most of the time when I'm hunting, I kill bulls when I least expect it, right? you like, you get a little frustrated or like think you want to hang your head and then all of a sudden you have a bull killed, right? Um, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible how it works, but yeah, you just got to stay in the fight constantly and it's easy to get down on yourself on those really hot days when you have, you know, six, seven hours in the middle of the day when it's hot and, uh, you're tired and it's easy to, it's easy to talk yourself out of, thinking you're in the right spot or talk yourself in, into going back to the truck but you just got to hang tough um 
and those opportunities manifest when you least expect it. They sure do. You just you just need a chance, you know, and you like the bull I killed this year, you know, I hadn't seen or heard an elk, but I, I just kept hunting down this ridge line where I had seen him, you know, like a week prior and knew there was some elk in the area. And then you just come over a basin and all of a sudden hear a bugle and uh, locate the bull and he's down working some cows and you just give yourself a chance. So that that's totally it, man. It's like uh, keep your head in the game, keep putting forth effort and it happens when you least expect it and i noticed this year too the the spots that i was hunting i was hunting a general unit spot and it's a high pressure location and um these elk get crafty i i noticed that you know they were timbered up at first light like they weren't even like elk need that that meadow feed on the the edge of the meadows and they say there's like five times the the biodiversity 50 yards inside the timber or any habitat change so 50 yards inside the meadow or 50 yards inside the timber that that's where the best biodiversity of feed is and so you know these elk have to come to this meadow grass to feed uh, so they have to come right. to these openings but I just noticed that with the pressure, um, you know, and I was hunting right during the middle of it, the third week of September, second week of September, when there was a lot of guys around, and these elk just get crafty where, you know, they'd be timbered up at first light. Like, I'd locate them in the dark, and uh, I'd be trying to keep with the herd in the dark, you know, careful not to bump them, but by the time first light came, they were already timbered up, which makes it really challenging uh, so it's like a combination of, you know, you know, so much of my hunting is spot and stock for elk where, you know, the first part of the equation is spotting the elk. And this year was tough where, <laughs> uh, you know, I was using a lot of like auditory sound, like listening for them and hearing them bugle and then chasing those bugles, which is one of the funnest ways to hunt them. But, you know, I had to use both mes methods to locate elk and get on them because they were so timbered up in these high pressure areas. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just, you just keep diving into country, listening and looking and just trying to, to locate them is like the first part of the qu equation. Uh, did you see that yeah. with any of your elk hunting that that they start to adapt to that pressure and start to work those bottoms more, or start to work the timber more, or uh, was it uh, standard elk hunting for you where they were in the meadows and where you could glass them? No, it, it was tough this year, um, and I, I imagine it was a function of of a couple of variables: pressure, and I'm guessing the heat. Um, it was just, it was just such a warm year while we hunted, but yeah, it, it was funny. There were times like we'd get up in the morning, you know, we'd get up an hour early and be out there in the dark, ready to go. Um, you know, trying, trying to find some elk, figure out where they're moving from, where they're moving to, so we could get close to them in the dark again, not trying to bump them, just trying to get in the fight so that once the lights came on, we were there and ready to make a move, you know? Um, but there were, there were days where we would be like, oh, we're in them thick. And like, as soon as the lights came on, it felt like there wasn't an elk within a hundred miles of us. Got, <laughs> they got in the bottoms, they went quiet. And if you know anything about, um, you know, that Eastern Montana stuff, they utilize those big deep creek bottoms pretty much daily. And once they're in there, they are so tough to hunt. You know, the thermals just present such an issue in those bottoms. Um, but yeah, they, they would just get in there and hide. And, and there were days like the, the day, uh, we actually, it was last Tuesday. 
uh, we did that same thing. We were up early. We were, we were in the dark and man, we couldn't even turn up a bowl. Like couldn't audibly couldn't turn up a bowl. And the day before it was like, Hey, we know there's like at least five or six bowls bugling in here. Plus whatever is in here. That's not talking. Right. We're like, we know there's elk in here. And then the following morning, it's like, it's a ghost town, you know? And you're like, God, what the heck did, did the elk leave? Are they just acting differently? Did they go up a different Canyon today? Where are they? Um, but again, you just you have to stay in the fight. We we heard one bugle that morning, and we acted on it. And by eight o'clock, we killed that bull. Um, so it's just yeah, it, it was tough. They were quiet, at least while we hunted them. They were quiet, but you know we we just went on anything we could manage. You know, a stick breaking. Um, you know, you hear them rub a tree, you, you hear a distant bugle and it was, it was no hold barred. It was just full send. So yeah, it was, we didn't have a lot to go on, but, but the, the things we did have to go on turned out to be fr- pretty fruitful and successful. Yeah. Um, the, the, or the, the day that the day Jared killed his bull, we killed it at 8am spent all day packing it out. Um, you know, just in blistering heat and we got it back to camp and we camped in elk country in a spot where we thought our wind would be okay for the most part. Um, you know, we tried to, tried to play the prevailing wind and not let the thermals do any damage. Um, but we were sitting in camp, you know, dog tired, boots off, just drinking water and relaxing and just again it's it's a time thing in elk country the bull i killed bugled completely randomly while we were like you know laying on our packs decompressing from the day he bugled like 200 yards behind us on his own unsolicited bugle and as fast as we could we tied our boots back on you know we get 20 30 minutes of light left tops um and somehow some way managed to go and get that bull killed as well so it was, we heard two, yeah, I think we heard two bugles that day and killed both bulls. <laughs> Good on you guys. Uh, well, it's just a testament to like your hunting skill set, like, right? We hone all these skills for years and years. And, uh, you know, that's our shooting skills, our stalking skills, our elk hunting skills. Like, like you, like you hone these skill sets and then, you know, we're able to make good on opportunities to locate in a bull. Like, that's pretty incredible to hear two bugles and kill both those bulls because, um, man, those, those bulls, they are tough to kill. Like any of these animals that we chase with a bow and arrow, like half the fun is the challenge. Like it's one of the, uh, one of the toughest endeavors I've ever taken on. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, man, they're crafty. And with those cows, it is just tough to get into range and then getting into range is only half the battle. Then you also have to get a clear shot at a bull that never stops moving. And that's always chasing cows and that they, they have a knack for like stopping behind trees or being on the far side of the cows. It's, I was in close oh. to so many elk this year. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of just a step here or there, or just, just give me a clear window or he, he walks through my window that I'm going to shoot and doesn't stop. You know, it's like that it's always, yeah. um, 
it's it's always uh, uh, tough to kill these elk. So that is super impressive for you guys to kill two mature bulls like that. So uh, when you're hunting elk, I know for me, I hunt elk fairly aggressive, and it sounds like by the way you're describing it, you hear a bugle or you see an elk, and you start working into that direction. And and for me, like I um. I hunt these elk, it's like all about knowing when to slow down. It's like the element of surprise is everything on these elk. You can't let them know that you're... Go ahead. Conversely, when to speed up. You know, there there is a time to be ultra aggressive. Most of the time, it's a pretty controlled, slow movement, right? So as not to get picked off. But like, there is a time and a place to be ultra aggressive. And that's fairly unconventional for me. But that's how I got my bull killed. I, I I had a feeling I knew where he was going, and I actually, uh, because I was so limited on time, I ran as fast as I could, probably for like five or six hundred yards up this drainage to climb this little hill to get in front of him. Um, and it probably probably not something I would have done with more daylight, right, for fear of bumping him or bumping his cows. But I had such a finite amount of time i just made this super hard move and as soon as i crested that hill he was coming around the corner right where i thought he was going to be you know but had had i not made that ultra aggressive move he would have beat me out of that canyon probably by you know three four five minutes and and probably bugled his way into the dark and i would have let him go and gone back to camp but for some reason i was just like i'm going to do this like i'm, I'm just going to be wicked aggressive and it, it was the right call yeah, our our instincts guide us, right? Like all this hunting experience goes into our hunting instincts where you have to make these decisions on the fly. And you're right. It, hunting elk is not just about moving slow. It's also about moving fast. Like last year I cut off my bull, um, you know, same thing where I had to run up the hillside. And I, I about killed a really nice six point this year that I had – I'd climbed above them, and then the thermals changed. They were coming uphill. The cows were below me. They were starting to bed. There was a great bull in there, and I thought for sure I'm going to kill this bull. Great wind in my face. No idea I'm there. And somebody had came kind of below him with a bad wind and started bugling at him. They must have seen or heard that bull that morning and just happened to be in the same spot, and they bumped the whole entire herd. And so the whole herd started to move. And yeah, I found myself the same as you is where I was running along this cliffside to try to keep with them to try to cut them off. And I cut them off in bow range twice and then caught the cows in front of me headed to the saddle where I ducked back again and sprinted towards the saddle <laughs> just to have them coming out at 40, 50 yards. And the, the bull came out in range. I had a range, drew back, tried to cow call and stop him, but he was already spooked from that guy bugling down below. And so uh, he just sped up when I cow call. But I dang near killed him that way. So you're right. Elk, um, they move so much country and they're so tough to keep up with that if you find yourself just still hunting really quiet and really slow, they'll just walk away from you and you won't get a chance at them. So you're right. It's like it's like these instincts. you got to know when to move fast, when to move slow. But there is nothing worse than moving too fast once you get into elk and blowing them up and blowing up your opportunity. I, I hate myself when I do that, but it is part of hunting. Oh my God. But it, it's just <clears throat> knowing when to slow down. And, 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 and for me, it's like that element of surprise is 
everything. So it's like anytime you're coming up over a rise, anytime I'm getting close to where I think that bull is, I just start creeping and start looking to side to side to make sure there isn't a cow to bust me. And I, you know, I actually had a bull where I moved too slow this year, which I do every season, but I located this great yeah. bull and then I look, um, I, I make a play over on him. He had some cows, and I'm coming up the hill with a good wind in my face, and I spot him bedded in front of me at 80 yards. And I put a tree mm-hmm. in between me and him, and I'm like, I'm not going to screw this up. Uh, so every step, I'm looking to my right, to my left. I'm glassing the timber. I'm making sure one of these cows isn't going to catch me as I close these last 20, 30 yards. And I popped up over the rise at 40 and come around the tree and he's just gone. And I'm like, what happened? So in that yeah. in that little window of time, he went from bedded to up, and then he moved to his cows, and I missed him moving because I had all this cover in front of me. And if I would have moved a little bit faster, I may have caught him right there. But again, it's just um, all, all you have is your instincts and this decision-making process, and you just do the best you can, but nothing worse than blowing up elk. I uh, know. <laughs> the heart sinking feeling when you, when you're creeping through the woods and you come face to face with a cow, you know, and she's staring into your soul and you're like, no, <laughs> no. And then it just sounds like a freaking stampede through the woods. Oh, that's the worst feeling. Um, but yeah, that, you know, generally speaking, moving slow prevents those mistakes. And, and even if you don't catch up with them and if an opportunity doesn't manifest, at least you didn't bump them, you know, so there's there's a time and a place to move fast, but it's generally not really often uh, or not very frequently that that's the right decision. You know, I, I would I would much rather have a herd work away from me, not spoot, than have made the wrong decision or like put too much pressure on them. Right, and now now they just went two miles into a new basin, and you got to start all over again. Oh, that's so true, Andrew. Like, uh, you're right. It's better to pay, play it patiently. And, um, you know, you try to trail those elk and sometimes you have to move quick to keep up with them or whatever the case. But yeah, I'm with you, man. I'd much rather have those elk work away from me and not get a play on them, but just knowing where they're at and when they're, they're not pressured or when they're not hunted, when they don't feel the pressure, then they're going to hang in that same general area usually, you know, unless they were spooked from somewhere else. And so, yeah, if you can if you can just keep that element of surprise, not bust them, and even if you didn't kill them that morning, well, at least you got some elk to play on that night or the next morning or the next night. And the more hunts and the more days that you can hunt that bull, the more likely you are to kill them. So you're so right, man. It's like – um being low impact in an area is so important. And, you know, I, you know, I I can be aggressive on elk and try to make plays. And, you know, I've got a buddy that's a really good elk hunter. He hunts them really aggressive, but you know, it's also really easy to blow up an entire drainage. That's a rut fest in there with multiple different bulls and just be too aggressive or get your wind wrong and blow that whole thing up and then have to start over or you could hunt them patiently, not give yourself away. Maybe an opportunity doesn't present itself, but then hunt them for multiple hunts, multiple days until it comes together. So, man, I think you're spot right. on on that strategy. Yeah, yeah. If you get, um, you know, if you can avoid pressuring a herd and, and you get, you know, a morning and evening hunt or like maybe a morning and evening and a morning hunt, you know, if you get, if you get multiple hunts on the same herd, like pretty quickly you start to identify 
you know, some patterns or like, like, uh, maybe, maybe what the hot cow is. Right. And like you, you can, uh, you, you just up your chances of, of being successful. Uh, you know, if you don't blow them out and you take a little bit of time to survey what's actually happening. And I know it's easy to be aggressive and everybody on TV and YouTube is blowing their bugle as loud as they can and all that jazz. Um, but sometimes patience is, is the right move. And, and oftentimes patience is what kills. Oh, it sure is, man. You're so right. And like, you know, there's a, a time and a place to, to bugle, but it's, it's like you have to use, um, you know, bugles and cow calls kill more elk than any other method out there. But yeah, I see so many guys that rely so heavy on these calls and getting responses and chasing these elk. And a lot of times it's like uh, they abandon their hunting skill due to these calls and the responses where if you just understand what these elk are doing a little bit more, you could put yourself in a better position to call one of these elk in. And, and so I'm with you. Like the more time you can spend with them, it's not just seeing elk and killing elk. It's almost understanding like how they're interacting with the landscape, knowing what they're uh-huh. doing and where they're going to bed and where they're feeding uh, where their travel routes are. And so the longer you can hunt them and the more information you can gain about that herd and that bull, and sure, they might not do the exact thing every day, but it sounds like the like the reason you killed that bull is because you had been hunting in there and you knew where that bull was headed and you beat him to the spot. And so really it was your knowledge that, that you accumulated over time of hunting in that area to know that. And, and I'm the same way. It's like if I can hunt elk for a day, two days, three days in a spot, you start to learn what they're doing and where they're heading and where they're bedding up. And then you can, you can make a better strategy to put yourself in front of them or put yourself in a good place to get a play and to get a good high percentage stock on them. So you're so right, man. It's, it's learning these elk and this elk behavior is the key to killing elk. Yeah, it really is. Um, and you know, if, if you, if you make a strong move on a herd and you blow them out, guess what you're back to looking for a new herd, right? So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it, it, which is, it's demoralizing. Uh, it generally results in, in like maximum effort to climb out of that Canyon to go hit, hit a ridge and start searching for another herd. So nine times out of 10, maybe 99 times out of a hundred, it's better to just be patient, let things develop, um, you know, minimize your pre- presence there and, hope that if you get to hunt them for a couple mornings and a couple evenings that you know enough about them that you can actually make an educated play on them, um, which usually results in arrows flying and dead bulls. So it's, yeah, it's really important, I think, to be patient. Um, and that's, that's, that comes with experience, you know, because it's exciting, right? You're, that's what you're there for. You hear bulls bugling and, and you see a herd in every part of your being wants you to go down that hill and make a move on them, right? Like you, you want to get in there, you want to interact with them, but that's not always the right decision. And a lot of the guys I know who are successful are just flat out patient. And that, that's been my takeaway for the last, I don't know, four five, six years. I'm like, I could do this or I could be patient. And again, nine times out of 10, I'm like, I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to see what happens here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see where this herd goes and like see if there's a better play that develops, you know, after they cross this finger or do this or after the thermals change or whatever. So yeah, just, just the, the slow play um, 
and the patience and learning about the herd and and their mannerisms and whatnot is it just it's usually the right move and again there's a time and a place to to really hammer and move fast but generally it's not the strong play in my opinion yeah that's it uh so similar like uh i'm always developing my patience as well and you have to give yourself a chance and put effort like uh you know you see a bull on a far distant ridge you go over there and see what you can make happen or like you say maybe you sit back and you wait to make a play on that bull but uh aggressiveness is not my problem like uh if i see an elk i think i can kill it for me it's the opposite of where i need to slow myself down and be patient but yeah i just keep developing my patience and my patience to make plays my patience to get the conditions right and then also my patience inside bow range like being comfortable having them close and not having to make a move like knowing uh you know you you hone these instincts and so all of a sudden you rely on these instincts to tell you when to stop or when that 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 um you know you can see a cow or you can see some cows and you know that okay i don't have a move here until they cross over this ridge I'm just going to hold tight. And it's like you said, the longer you can play the game, uh, you know, that bull will put himself in a bad situation. But if you just go in and blow up every elk that you find, you're never going to give yourself that high percentage chance. And so it is really like relying upon your instincts to guide you and really relying upon the patience. And I just keep getting to be a more patient hunter. The more years that I do it every season, every hunt, it's like just relying upon these patients, just giving myself a chance and trying to get these conditions right and not rushing in with a bad wind or not moving when the, the elk have a visual on me or when they're going to see me. You know, it's really knowing when to when to move slow and when to be patient and then just let things develop. And like you say, things happen then. Those bulls put themselves in a bad situation and it's amazing. You may play the game in the morning and you're chasing the herd and you're you're close and you almost get a shot and you don't bust that herd. It's amazing how, how many times it comes together. Like I love an evening hunt. As an evening hunt, you know, they're coming out into those meadows and into those openings instead of going into the timber and going towards their bedding zone. And so, you know, they're almost coming out into those spots, which gives me a really good play as I love hunting those elk like in their feeding feature versus uh, transitioning to their bed or they do tend to slow down when they get to their bed which can give you a good chance as they kind of feed around there but my best move and my best plays are usually those evenings and i love the downhill thermals the last hour of light when that shade hits that hillside that wind's coming yep. downhill you know i just know i got this good consistent wind that i can work with and and really having a higher understanding of the wind, the way the directionals and the thermals, like that's something that I'm always learning how the wind moves through the mountains I'm hunting and how uh, it affects where I'm hunting. Like so much of it comes down to dialing in that wind or knowing what that wind's doing and almost seeing it before it comes going, you know, watching the, the hillside get shaded and just knowing that those thermals are going to start to drop and just giving it another 15 minutes for that wind to change even though that bull's bugling his head off and he's right in front of you that wind's dicey and so i just i've learned my lesson enough times and blown up enough elk and i think that's part of it is that 
you you just have to get that experience out there and you learn from your mistakes and so now I'll just sit back and let that bulb bugle his head off but the minute you know that hillside gets shaded and I feel those downhill thermals and it's steady it's like okay now's my chance now's when I can move in where that wind's not going to swirl so uh so much of this uh this this hunting game it's just being like a like a student of the game we're always still learning like uh always trying to be better and and more adapt and like um they're just tough it's it's still even with the skill set i built for these elk it's still extremely difficult to arrow a mature bull and i don't think that'll ever change but i keep just trying to improve my skill set to give myself the best chance i can yeah yeah um so like you were saying, um, you know, you're watching this hillside and you're watching that shade line move and adjust, whether it's up or down. Um, it, you know, you're thinking about what's to come. You're thinking two, three, four, five steps ahead of what you're doing right now, right? It's like you're developing a game plan ahead of time, right? It's like that that stuff that comes with experience, right, is, is seeing how this, this um, you know, approach is going to pan out in the next 20, 30, 40 minutes, right? So, you, you know, if you're thinking that far ahead, you generally can get ahead of, um, you know, what the what the elk are going to do or what you suspect they're going to do. But that experience and that, that forethought is a lot of times what gets you in the game and what helps you manifest opportunities throughout the season. You know, if, if, your, only, if your only strategy is to stay on the elk and, and uh, risk those swirly winds, man, it, it just oftentimes it's not not going to pan out that way. So if you can think ahead a little bit, you know, it'll, it'll definitely help you uh, in the long run. Yeah, it's a three-dimensional chess game, isn't it? And uh, creative thinking is rewarded. Like, uh, if you can think of a solution to a problem, like if you can think where those elk are headed or uh, where there's going to be a good spot to catch up to, and that's rewarded, and that's when, like, things come together. And especially that wind is so important in the in the mountains or, you know, wherever you're bow hunting. These animals have such a sense of smell. Uh, there's just been more stalks busted by the wind than anything else, and so that's got to be your number one concern when – you know, getting into these elk is what are the winds doing? What are they going to do in the future? You know, when am I going to get a good steady wind that I could, that I can trust? Yeah. And I, I would much rather have an elk see me than smell me, you know? So if, if I don't trust those winds, I'm not going right. I'm, I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to keep that wind in my favor. And once I think I've got the wind figured out, and, and again, you never really have it figured out, but you can use your best judgment. But once I think I have the wind figured out or once those thermals shift, right, then it's time to go. But you are never going to beat an elk's nose, period. Oh, that's the truth, or any animal for that matter. You know, the the wind is number one, that's for sure. It's like getting that right, and then then you can start to plan your approach and how you're going to use the topography and the ungulation to move in close. But the, the wind is number one always. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, we, we were talking about patience, and I was just thinking about the last, uh, I don't know, three or four animals that I've killed. Um and sequentially it's i killed an elk i killed a mule deer buck and then i killed an antelope this year all and and then i killed my elk this year um all of those stocks were just a true test of my patience so the the elk i killed last year 
I stalked in on him and I sat on him for like three and a half hours. Right. And, and I let him make the last move. I could have kept moving and I could, I could have risked it. You know, he had a couple cows, but I just had this gut feeling he was going to do what I needed him to do. And that's exactly what he did. And I put a perfect arrow through him. And then I went on to that late season, um, late season mule deer hunt. And I did the same thing. I was like, man, I don't have a strong play. I'm just going to bird dog them until I see something. And just, just by happens chance, a doe came back my way and pulled that buck with him, put a perfect arrow through him. And then this year on my antelope, uh, I, I stalked into 56 yards. I was right behind him. He was bedded. I had no shot, but I stood there for two and a half hours, literally stood there for two and a half hours with my release hooked into my D loop. And finally he gets up, stretches, does his thing. And guess what? Put a perfect arrow through him. Never knew I was there. Um, you know, that's, that's three, three animals I killed because I was ultra patient, right? And then this elk that I just killed, right? I had to make a really strong move. So that's 75% of the last, uh, four animals I've killed, I killed because I was incredibly diligent and patient. You know, and, and maybe not all of them I thought I was going to have a chance, but just because I was, I was in the mix. I was making the right decisions, but I was keeping my distance. I got an opportunity, and that's usually how it works out. Yeah, it sure is. I um, the the best buck that I hunted this year. Uh, I there was a lack of patience is why I didn't kill him. I um, I spotted him a long ways off, and he bedded in a morning bed. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna give it a chance over there, see if I can make it to him. And so I hustled and I got over there and right as I get over there, he gets up on his feet. There's actually like a bull elk that walked right over on top of him dang near. And so he gets up on his feet. There's two bucks feeding. And it's like if he just would have stayed there, I had a ridge line that, that hid my approach. It would have put me inside 60, could shoot across that can. It was just perfect scenario, wind right and everything where I'm trying to capitalize he gets up on his feet and I'm working up the ridge line and I'm trying to get to him and he's working away from me and going to cross that ridge line and he's right in front of me a hundred yards and he crosses and I duck back down in an ungulation and then I pop up to right where he should be 50 yards right there and they have no idea I'm there and I wait and my instincts are telling me just wait just let it happen he's going to show himself and so I sat there where he should be 50 yards and I sat there for five minutes and I just know yep. that I shouldn't move any further, that I'm right in his grill right now. And the right move would have been to back out of there and hunt him in the evening. But, you know, I'm so far away from my access point. I got my buddy Dan hunting. We're supposed to meet after the morning hunt. Now, Dan's fine. He would have known if I didn't show up that I'm hunting a buck and that he would have gone and hunted somewhere else. But I start to have all these things that start to play in my mind. And me and Dan were going to change areas. I know he didn't see a buck that morning. And so, like, I almost gave it more pressure than I should. So here I am a few miles back. I'm supposed to meet up with Dan after the morning hunt. And I'm right there, put myself inside bow range of that buck and I know right now that I shouldn't move any further I sat there for five minutes and I didn't see him and then I just have that little devil on my shoulder that's like oh just go see if he's <laughs> over that next bump you know just make a make a little move and see if you can relocate maybe he just dove down in that timber and so I pressed on just a little bit and I must have taken four or five steps and that buck was right behind you know a uh, uh 
a cedar tree right in front of me inside 50 yards and I blew up the bucks and blew them up over the ridgeline never to see them again and it was lack of patience and it was the best buck I saw all year long and the thing that hurts so bad is that I knew better and I did it anyways so sometimes I have to learn these lessons over and over again and I'm not going to win every stock I'm not going to kill every animal I see like I realize that uh, but it was a blatant mistake and lack of patience that busted out that buck when I knew better and he was such a good buck that I had been hunting for a couple days that I should have just backed out I could have hunted him that night I could have hunted him the next morning you know I may have ended up killing that buck but instead I I pushed on even though I knew better and blew him up out of there lack of patience so always learning I guess yeah it's amazing what you can talk yourself into you're like I, I know this is the wrong decision I know I should just be patient and I'm not going to screw this up if I'm patient and yeah, that little, that little voice in the back of your head is like, ah, j- just take another step. Just just look over the ridge, right? And you screw it up. <laughs> Man, there is there is nothing worse. I and it it's it's so palatable for me to be like, ooh, I moved a little too slow, you know, like oh that buck moved off or or that herd of elk moved off, whatever. Like you know, it, it, I don't beat myself up over that, but I. Um, you know, I, I take it in stride and I try to learn from it. Right. When you do stuff like that and you're like, uh, you don't listen to your instincts, right. You override them and, and you've developed these instincts over what, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of bow hunting. And you take the liberty of over, overriding them and you screw it up, man, it's easy to beat yourself up over that stuff. Oh man, it hurts so bad. Uh, yeah, uh, you're you're exactly right. Uh, like I love the way you describe that. Like uh, that's what I try to do when I'm hunting out. Like I've learned enough times that your brain plays tricks on you too. Like y- you can start to be moving in on a deer to where a deer was or where a bull was, and, and your mind will start to say, "Oh, oh, he's gone. Oh, he's moved off. Just look over this rock." And so all of a sudden you stop moving as slowly, stop moving as quietly, and you you walk up to the edge and then blow that bull out of there, and he was there the whole time and i don't know why our mind plays tricks on us like that that says um you know oh that that deer's not bedded there anymore oh he's moved off like right before you get there when you should be moving your slowest and i've i've learned through time that that's when i need to slow down the most and my approach to it sounds similar to yours where it's like i'm gonna move slow i'm not gonna be the one that screws this up if this bucker bull has moved off, that's fine. I can live with that. Uh, but yep. I'm not going to be the one that moves too fast, that blows him out of that spot because I think he's already moved on or I think I need to hurry up and get to a shooting position. I'm going to move slow and controlled. I'm not going to be the one that screws it up. I'm going to do everything in my part. More times than not, that bucker bull is right where you left him. And moving slow, you give yourself a chance at that animal. And so, yeah, I've definitely learned over over time. But that does um, that does hurt your soul when you when you make big mistakes uh, like that and bust them out because you just work so hard for those opportunities. But that is the game. You're just not going to kill everyone, and they're their instincts are so keen that they're going to win a lot of these battles, even if you make all the right moves. Um, you know, they just have Correct. a knack for just catching movement or a knack for, you know, 
gosh, uh, uh, the the wind swirling, like as good as we are at dialing in the wind, like I, you know, I've had situations this year where it's a good wind in my face the whole hunt, two hours, and all of a sudden they lead me into a little timbered bowl, and all of a sudden the wind swirls in there, and it's like, well, you know, there's nothing I could do. I played my highest percentage hunt. I had a great wind for two hours. You know, it was just this bowl that did me in. It's you know, they are going to win some of those battles, and so you just try to try to have takeaways from them, try to improve your skill set, and you just try to give yourself the best chance you can. Yeah, and honestly, there's probably a reason that those elk or that that deer went where they went or bedded where they bedded, right? They they probably know that that wind is funky there, right, or that the wind in that bowl is swirly and they have a better chance of surviving in there, right? There's, there's a rhyme or reason to pretty much everything they do. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like there's, there's times when you do everything right, right? You make all the right decisions. You move to the right places. You get the wind in your favor and it still doesn't work out. And that's the nature of the beast. And, and that's what makes it fun. If it was, if it was easy to just storm into a place, get the wind in your face, walk right in on bowls and shoot them it wouldn't be that much fun. It wouldn't be challenging. It wouldn't have the same appeal that it does. Right. And, and, it, and it wouldn't be as rewarding when you actually get it right and, and send that perfect arrow through the bull you're after or the deer you're after. So there's, there's, uh, you know, there's something to be said about them winning more often than not, you know, it keeps you in the fight and, and keeps it interesting for you or for me. Yeah, that's the beauty of the hunt. You're so right. Uh, sometimes I wish I could find a dumb one, or you know, I wish it would it would just work out, or it'd be a little easier. But you're right. The the challenge is what um what what hooks us on it. You know, the difficulty, and that's why it does mean so much when we do arrow critter. And man, is it difficult out there. Those um those elk are so keen. Those mule deer, those antelope, they just win a lot of those battles. They're their instincts are just honed over thousands of years, you know, and so, you know, they're they're used to avoiding mountain lions and predators and and humans as well, and so especially when they get to that mature age of a of a mature animal, they've made it through a bunch of hunting seasons. They've outsmarted a bunch of bow hunters, a bunch of rifle hunters, and so um, those animals don't come easy, and it is why it means so much to us. Is we're uh, uh, we're absolutely uh, hooked on the the challenge and Im- immersed on the challenge of trying to get close. There's there's just nothing better than bow hunting, Andrew. I think uh, uh, that's why our our love runs so deep for it. Yeah, I totally agree. And it always amazes me every year. I look back and reflect and on the things I saw and all the hunting pressure. And every year I am so blown away that elk and deer and antelope are as good at surviving as they are right if you take to the mountains um you know for rifle opener or during rifle season you look around and every ridge is covered in orange vests and orange hats rifle hunters right and these elk are elk and deer and antelope man they are good at what they do you know you would you would believe based on the amount of hunters that every elk in every basin is getting shot or shot at um so it's it's really amazing to me that that they do as good a job as they do at surviving and avoiding hunting pressure etc absolutely um well, you know, another thing I'm so impressed by, uh, Andrew, is your ability to make shots. Um, 
making a shot with archery gear is so extremely difficult. I know you spend a ton of time working on your skill set. I've shot with you on 3D courses. You're an amazing shot with your bow, and I can see all the work and effort that you've put into it. I know that you spend a lot of time tuning and tweaking with your bows to get them shooting the most forgiveness uh, or the most forgiving setup that you can. Uh, but but yep. your key to success, you shoot the same way I shoot in a back tension style, and you shoot a back tension style on targets, and then you also shoot it on animals, which when you first start, with a back tension style on animals it's almost like you forget how to shoot or forget how to execute like you really have to be present in that shot and uh, make sure that you're doing all the right steps but what are some of the the secrets or what um what's some of the the work that you put in over the years to to be such a consistent shot with your bow like what is your execution process when you're shooting at an animal or how do you how do you keep your calm and and make these good shots like those last four animals yeah well make make no mistake i mean I, i still get worked up and um, I'm as guilty as anybody, like my adrenaline gets cranking and, and things don't always go exactly the way I want them to. I don't always execute, you know, as good as I do in my backyard. In fact, very rarely do I execute that perfectly. Right. I'm, I'm typically like standing on uneven ground or have to draw and then pop up. You know, there's, there's all these variables that, um, hunting introduced this year, archery game, but, um, I think it was been uh six seven years ago something like that um i went through target panic and uh i missed this bull elk at 40 yards which is you know i basically missed a sheet of plywood at 40 yards which set me on this course uh to to do better and be better and figure out a way to execute those important shots when i need to uh and, and i attribute a lot of my success to joel turner i I worked with joel and um he kind of he gave me the tools i needed to get back on the right path to success with my bow and i overcame target panic um and and since then yeah i've made a lot of great shots on animals i typically don't um i don't i typically don't rush shots i typically don't make bad shots uh which is really important to me but i i don't know that there's any secret to it uh, other than putting in the work and it's really interesting to me you know a lot of people go out and get bows and, and bow shops don't help you they just want to sell you a bow and sell you arrows and a release and send you on your way um, but I have put so much time and effort into perfecting my shot execution and and a lot of what helps me stay in the moment is I have a mantra that I go through which is you know it's it kind of overrides my stress and it overrides um, my brain telling me, shoot now, shoot now. So it's, I just have this process that I've developed over the last you know, five or six years, which I stick to every single time. So if I don't, if I don't run through that process, my arrow doesn't fly. So it's, it's hard for me to, for me to tell any one person like this is the way to do it i have i've just developed this shot execution process again over the last five or six years which has led me to where i am 
What the heck is going on? Gosh, I know it's just fighting me today for some reason. But um, yeah, I I got uh, I got the majority of what you're talking about your your process and building it. Um, man, it's almost just like dedication to the craft, isn't it? Dedication to your bow, and then it is this desire. Like it seems like you almost need to hit your lowest before you finally say, okay, I'm done with putting my pin on the animal and making it go. I just need to execute. And if I can execute correctly, a lot of animals are going to die. But it, it it's it's wild to hear you talk about that we never, you know, it's it's never like like I. It's never something you absolutely master where every time it just comes natural and you execute this great shot. It's something I have to think about all the time on every hunt, on every animal I shoot at, and that is my goal on every shot is to execute correctly, and and, uh, animals die when I execute correctly, and so – it's almost just like making your mind up, but then you have to get these reps in inside bow range and shooting arrows at animals and keeping your calm. And, and then when you do it right, you, you, you imprint that in your brain and you go, okay. And my shot process is similar to yours where, you know, I do talk myself through this shot. I have this shot execution routine and I don't let myself go into autopilot. I, I have to execute correctly on every shot on every animal. Uh, you know, it's something I continue to improve at, but um, it's not easy out there. I, I used to think that uh, I got more adrenaline than everybody else because I do get so worked up, so much adrenaline pumping through my veins that, that the pin doesn't aim the same. But the difference between making a bad shot and making a good shot is a second. It's just executing correctly. And so I've realized that where it's better to let that animal walk away than to force a shot or to make it go. Uh, that animal's either going to let me execute or I'm not going to shoot because I've just learned over the years. And even if that thing's at 20 yards, I'm still going to execute correctly on my shot. Uh, I'm that dedicated yeah. to my shot process, and it sounds like you're the exact same way. I, I am, yeah. And I, I, I shoot a hinge when I hunt. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm going through my process, and that hinge is going to break whenever it breaks. You know, I'm, I'm just going to keep pulling. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep my pin buried where it needs to be. And it's going to go when it goes. And, and if that happens, I know that my margin for error, even though my adrenaline is pumping, I know my margin for error is so small. If I do my job that that arrow is going to find its mark, um, you know, versus previously, uh, you know, with, with target panic and all that jazz, you know, you can be a hero in your backyard, but you add the adrenaline and you add the pressure. Who knows where that arrow is going? <laughs> you punch the trigger, you know? I do know. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, man. You're spot on. Spoken like yeah, a... Yeah, I think I, I, I've been there. Like, like you said, I've, I've been to the lowest of lows, which helped me realize that I didn't want to be there and, and I didn't want to deal with that anymore. So I was going to do whatever it took to become a better archer and learn how to learn how to make good shots under pressure. Um, the other part of what I do is I visualize my success. Like I, I've seen my pin in my head. I've seen my pin float on that animal, whether it's an antelope or an elk, I, I've seen it, you know, a hundred times over a thousand times over. So it's not surprising to me when that opportunity manifests, right? And I, my peep alignment poof, comes right into place and my pin goes right to the top of the heart and sits there, right? That, that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't make me nervous. I have no control of my adrenaline, 
but I've seen that all take place before in my head. And then all I have to do is execute. And then my arrow, my arrow generally finds its mark, um, you know, or, or is within a few inches of its mark. So oh, I love that, yeah. man. I love that visualization. I think that's such an important piece to the bow hunting game in the same way where when I'm coming into a hunt, I spend a lot of time visualizing. Like the last thing I do before I go to bed is I visualize that bull walking out and I visualize, like you say, peep alignment, my pin barrowing, uh, bearing uh, uh, right on that animal, like uh, right where I want it. And then executing my shot. And so, like you say, I, you know, whatever hunt I'm on, I visualize that hunt and that success multiple times. So when it does happen, it just falls into place and I'm able to bury my pin, execute my shot. And like you say, even with the adrenaline, uh, my room for error is so much smaller. And sometimes, to be honest, I miss because of my execution or it'll go wrong because of my execution but I just know that I have a higher percentage with uh, quality execution than I do without. Like I had a uh, an axis buck in Hawaii, I think it was last year or something, where he just walked out and exposed his vitals behind the tree, and he was 45 yards, and I could see his it was shoulder, vitals, tree. And so I pulled back, and I just know that I'm going to execute correctly. So my pin was going from tree to shoulder, tree to shoulder, tree to shoulder, pull, 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 shot broke, and I was into the tree by about an inch. You know, it was just like if I would have punched it, you know, I probably would have killed that animal. But I am so dedicated to executing correctly that that's okay by me. I know I'm going to kill a higher percentage of the animals I shoot at if I execute correctly every time. So I just don't allow myself to punch. I don't allow myself to punch an easy easy shot or to try to get it in this tight window. I would rather sit in there, bury my pin, execute correctly, and I'm going to kill a way higher percentage of the animals that I'm shooting at. And sure, I'll have an arrow here or there that hits a tree, or maybe I keep pulling on my shot and it doesn't break, and maybe I miss my spot by six inches. But I just know I'm better if I execute correctly, and I put so much weight on that on every animal I shoot at. And so I'm okay with that. I'm okay with missing that axis buck because I executed correctly. So I can walk away, and that's a win for me. And I know the next yeah. nine out of ten animals I shoot at are going to die because I'm going to shoot correctly. So, yeah, I, I'm the same way, yep. man. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's a decision I can live with, you know. If I'm like, man, I, I did my job. I did everything I've trained myself to do, and it didn't work out. I can live with that. I can sleep at night, right? I can go back to the tent and be like, didn't work, back at it tomorrow, right? And and, and now going forward, the next nine shots I make, they're going to work. Versus, you know, if you, if you cheat your process, if you punch the trigger, or if I rip through my hinge, um, you know, it makes it a lot harder for me uh, to, to deal with that decision. You know, I, I feel like I cheated myself. Um, so, yeah, the, the execution is so important to me. And, and it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? If you can't get the shot off in time, maybe you shouldn't have been shooting anyway. So those, the execution is really valuable, um, and, it, and it takes me back to a place that I'm comfortable in, right? So. Man, such great insight. Um, well, you have you willed yourself into a great bow hunter, Andrew. I'm so impressed by your consistent success. I saw an antelope and then that great bull come across my feed. You got any other hunts coming up this year? Um, I've, <laughs> yes, uh, I do have other hunts coming up. I actually, I rolled my ankle really badly 
um, when I moved quickly on that bowl. So I'm actually I'm fighting a, an ankle sprain right now that's like on the verge of debilitating. So we'll we'll see how the rest of my season pans out. But there is an area in Montana that I'd like to go chase some bucks around with my bow. And then at the end of October, I'm going to head to Idaho um, and do a do a late October, hopefully early rut hunt uh, with a friend of mine, Jared, the guy, the guy I both hunted elk with this year. So I've got a got a couple of hunts coming up, um, but uh, it, it's kind of depending upon the health of my ankle right now, which is unfortunate. Man, uh, I got to look up your buddy Jared Miller. I don't think I'm familiar with him or have met him, so yeah, I definitely got to look him up and um, check out some of his um, some of his stuff there on social media and things. Sounds like a really good guy. Man, that's too bad on your ankle. Jeez. Um, oh, I know. It uh, it can happen so quick, and injuries are almost tougher on us mentally than physically. Although yours does sound pretty bad physically, but the body has a the body has an amazing ability to heal itself. So focus on your recovery man i'm sure you'll be back better than ever in no time and um yeah i'll be cheering for you on these deer hunts but yeah just so impressed by your bow hunting insight and knowledge and consistent success there's no doubt that um it's because of all the hard work and your dedication you put in so man i just really appreciate you thanks so much for um taking the time and coming on the podcast man yeah you bet brian thanks for having me mm-hmm. all righty yep we'll catch up soon all right, take care. Okay. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, fun conversation with Andrew. Uh, um, second time he's been on the podcast. First time he's been on solo and definitely won't be the last. I'll be hitting this guy up for podcasts in the future just because I I love his insight and uh, his intelligent approach to bow hunting. And um, his results speak for themselves. Another great bull this year, just a consistent bow hunter that works tirelessly at his craft. So um, just the exact guests I like to have on the podcast. So thanks to Andrew for taking the time. Thanks to you guys for listening in and the support of the podcast means the world to me. Um, Man, I've been slacking on my social media a bit. I'll make sure to get back on there and update you guys. I've just been hunting like a madman, uh, but really enjoying Uh, the adventure and the experience in the mountains and hunting these moose and I've learned so much good area like the the elk area that I've learned been seeing elk late season mule deer uh, along with a handful of moose as well so um, yeah it's just been um, it's been an awesome season busy trying to get this house done we're sheetrocking now my new house that is got to live in a, a rental in the inner room gonna gonna move uh, here coming up November 15th, I got to be out or December 1st, I got to be out of my house. So, um, gearing up for that, just got a lot going on. Uh, feel so good if I can check a couple of these construction projects off my, off my list. Um, so working hard to get a couple of these things done, but, um, man, it's all good. Family's doing good and, um, uh, just hunting as much as I possibly can. So yeah, I have, uh, I've enjoyed it, getting really excited for this two-state muley tour that we're going to try to capture on video, Uh, so just making sure I'm all geared up and uh, everything's shooting right, so a couple weeks and then I'll leave on that. It's going to be like early November date, so right at that pre-rut, rut action, hopefully I see it kick off this season, so... um super excited for that uh want to thank our sponsors again i want to thank stone glacier just amazing gear amazing guys that work there 
Uh, also want to thank Matthews. Those guys have just outdone themselves in the R&D team. Just build the most forgiving bows, hold a tune, hold up to the abuse I hand out to it, and um, just shoot so accurate, uh, so impressed by these bows. I can't wait to see what the new ones are in November. So um, really excited for that. But, boy, they're going to have a tough time topping you know, last year's bow or the last three years' bows. It's just been amazing. But every year they seem to do it. So uh, I'm on the lookout for that new one. It should be showing up before too long. So super stoked about that. Thanks to Matthews. Uh, thanks to Black Ovis. Uh, just amazing internet retail store. I uh, really like their name brand stuff. I was really impressed when I went on the site there. Um, so make sure to check those guys out and also Camo Fire, uh, a great app where you get all these great deals on top name brands. With that, um, oh, the uh, promo code for Black Ova, save 10%, Eastman's 10. Elevated 10? Gosh, I'm still, I need to look at my notes here. Uh, but you'd save 10% Eastman's 10 on that. And, um, man, uh, great podcast with Andrew. Like I say, I'm just going to keep after these moose here and, um, get to this, this, uh, mule deer trip. But, um, man, it's, it's been challenging, but there's some good ones in this unit. It's just so random to run into a big bull. And, uh, of course I've had some buddies that have ran into him and, um, you know, I did see one great bull that I hunted for three days and just couldn't come up with them. I was back in there last weekend, made another hunt for them, and just can't seem to turn them up in there. They they travel so much country, and they're tough to see in the same places twice. And I think a lot of times in this unit, they're in the bottoms and in the willow brush, but this year the feed's been so good, it seems like they're up in the timber. So, uh, you know, they, they just have uh, uh, less densities as far as population so just tough to run into but i saw 13 last weekend 13 the weekend before my count's up to 30 some moose so um man just keep after it here persistence is deadly so we're supposed to get some weather this weekend and i'm not sure if it'll help or hurt but at least it'll change things up a little bit so uh looking forward to that as well um let's see man i um been flying by the seat of my pants trying to build these houses and then um you know just everything I've got going on I mean everybody's busy in life but uh I'm just for myself uh I've never been so busy so just trying to handle everything and I got off last Friday I'll tell you guys like a funny story last Friday uh, how I screwed up like um got my idiot card uh but uh so I I got off and I you know I'm j I'm just scrambling at work and to be honest I'm in a little bit of a negative headspace just with like uh that day I was just dealing with issues and problems and things and most days I handle it pretty good but I was trying to get out of town trying to go hunt and um a little bit frustrated but I I got home and I'm trying to get my stuff done and you know make sure that the family's taken care of write a check for this do this and so I've got this huge list of stuff which, you know, I'm I'm leading the story by uh, telling you all the excuses I had. Um, so I start throwing my stuff in my truck and I, I throw I got to load up my dirt bike and make sure that's good to go. And she had to put some uh, cleaner in it as the ball valve was stuck in the carb in there. And so, you know, I got to shut the gas off every time. So no big deal. It's a great running bike, but had to run some cleaner through that. So I'm just hustling, trying to get an evening hunt. And then, um, so get all my gear loaded up. And I, I pretty much, you know, I'm in the routine right now. I got my gear stacked in the garage and I'm, 
you know, I just throw my stuff in. I got my food there and food like I'm hardly even getting. I just threw some stuff in from the house, some sandwich stuff. I mean, it's just a weekend. I just don't need much. And so trying to get that all loaded up, make sure I've got water, make sure I've got TP, you know, all those little things that you can forget on a hunt. And I throughout the years, you know, I've, I've probably forgotten about everything you can forget. And I'd love to tell you that I'm organized off a spreadsheet and that I check things off the list and throw it in. It's just not the case. Like right now in the middle of hunting season, I'm just running myself ragged just trying to get to the mountains. And so I've just kind of got it all piled in the garage in a spot. And so I kind of know, you know, from the weekend prior where I was camping out that I had everything I needed. And if I'm missing something, you know, I'll throw it in that week. And so I load up all my stuff and I drive and, and I end up three hours from my house, maybe three and a half hours driving gravel roads. And I go on this evening hunt. I actually didn't see any moose that evening, uh, kind of checking out a new spot. And so I get back and it's dark and I'm exhausted. You know, it's like nine o'clock at night. I've been working so hard all week and pushing late into the night. So I start getting ready. And, um, a lot of nights, um, you know, I have my tent with me. If it's going to rain, I'll set up my tent. If not, I'll just throw out this canvas. I call it my um, uh, canvas burrito. And then I, I put my pads in there, my sleeping bag, and then wrap up in my canvas. And, um, and, and then the canvas keeps the frost off me. And yeah, I sleep really good just out underneath the stars. And then in the morning, I just throw all my gear in and I'm mobile. I don't need to come back to a campsite. I can just hunt for the day and then sleep wherever I end up. And so I go to set up my bedroll and I set out the canvas and my pads and I go looking and there is no sleeping bag. <laughs> my prize stone glacier 15 degree is not in the truck. And a lot of times I have two bags. I have a backup. Oh man, I forgot my sleeping bag. Oh, just the worst. Just felt like such a moron. You know, it just, just running myself ragged and this disorganization. And I'd love to tell you that I'm better, but I just make mistakes now. Oh, what did I call it? I called it the idiot trifecta because uh, in my hunting career, there has been a time when I forgot my tent. And a lot of this is when I leave on a 10-day hunt. I've got everything in the truck to go backpacking, uh, but you know it's not packed in my backpack. I didn't take two days to pack it in my backpack. Where a lot of these backpack hunts, I've been through all my backpack gear. So I just have it in the truck, and then I fill up my, my bag before I go on the hunt and take off. And so I forgot my tent. Uh, there was a time hunting Nevada with Dan where I forgot my pad. I had to make a, a grass and, and uh, limb bed, you know, to insulate me from the ground. And now I forgot my sleeping bag. So the idiot trifecta has now been completed. Uh, so I forgot my sleeping bag. And I could have drove home that night, but it's, you know, it's three hours to home, three hours back out. So I basically just piled on all the clothes I had. I wrapped a sweatshirt in a coat around my feet and then wrapped up in the canvas. Oh, it was a miserable night. It's like sleeping without a sleeping bag just sucks. I had my puffy gear. I mean, I survived. I got some sleep, but just uh, woke up even more exhausted than I was like at the end of the week. Uh, oh, man. Luckily, I had a buddy that was coming to hunt with me and help out on my moose hunt, my buddy Chase. And uh, so I had to own up to my idiot mistake and go, hey, Chase, can you swing by my house on your way out and grab my sleeping bag? So the next night I did have a sleeping bag, thanks to Chase. Otherwise, it would have been two miserable nights. But if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. So um, I'm definitely dumb, but uh, I do. I am tough as well. So uh, anyway, it's just a funny story that I thought I'd share with you guys. So um, all good. I uh, I won't forget my sleeping bag again this year. At least that's the plan. Uh, but thanks so much, you guys, for the support. I really appreciate you. Hopefully you're enjoying these podcasts, getting out on your own adventures. And um, with that, I'll check in with you next week.